Hello and welcome to Running the Race Podcast, a pastoral perspective on living the Christian life in our day. This podcast is a ministry of First Baptist Church of Gonzales, Louisiana, and to learn more about who we are and what we believe, head over to our website, www.fbcg.net. You can listen to more episodes, check out our pastor's blog, or use some of our other really great resources over at the site. Today's topic is hope, and in this episode, Alex and I define our terms and talk about what hope is and what the distinctions are between the colloquial use of the word hope as a wished-for understanding and the Christian hope found in the New Testament. We talk about different areas that people put their hope in, ourselves, our families, our jobs, politicians, or even material things. And then we talk about a biblical understanding of hope, the importance of having a Christian framework when thinking about hope, what the purpose of life is to begin with and how that relates to where our hope is found, and ultimately that our hope is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, again, welcome to Running the Race Podcast. I'm Jared, and here with uh, Alex Ray, and we have a wonderful topic today that I'm really excited about, which is hope. And so um, as we get started, we're going to think about uh, what hope is and how we can define that. Um, It's really um, interesting that we use hope in a couple of different ways. Uh, when we when we throw that term around, and I was uh, reading in the the Bible this week, and found uh, was kind of entertained that that uh, even the biblical authors have this sort of colloquial use of of the word hope. Even in the Greek, they they use that word to mean something that they wish is going to happen. Much in the same way that we would say. Uh, you know, I wished that the Saints had beat Tampa, but they just didn't. Mm-hmm. Or I wish that it wasn't pouring today, but it is. And so we 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 say we hope for these things, uh, much the same way that we wish. And you know, Paul says that he hopes to send Timothy. Mm-hmm. Uh, John talks about hoping to see. Um, and so th- these things are are colloquial, even in the the biblical languages and biblical times. So. That's something that we do as well. And uh, so how do we define the hope that is greater than that? How do we um, define the Christian hope, the hope that is uh, eternal life in Christ? Yes, I think there's a couple ways that we can look at that definition. We'll spend um, the latter part of our time in this discussion looking at a a biblical uh, understanding of hope and how we're to understand hope, in particular in relation to the work of Christ. And there's a lot to be said about that. But even just the cursory understanding of the word uh, hope, it can be used as, an, as a noun um, or a verb, in other mm-hmm. ways, I'm sure. But uh, a noun, it could be the, the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. So again, I, you know, you might have hoped that New Orleans would victorious over Tampa. <laughs> Sadly, they were not. Uh, it could be used as a verb as well um, to, to look forward with, uh, look forward to with desire. And so I, I, I was thinking about those definitions um, and I was thinking how in, in the movie uh, The Shawshank Redemption, how uh, Andy Dufresne, who is this man who'd been locked up in prison um, for um, this, this crime, and and he's uh, he spent, I think the movie takes place over about 19 or 20 years yeah. in this really nasty prison, and all throughout the prison, all these terrible things happen to him, and, and you wonder how in the world is he, is he getting through all this. And so at the end of the movie, you find out, uh, you see how he escapes, and you find out that the way he escapes is that he's been spending pretty much his entire time uh, in this prison. He's been spending all of his time building this escape uh, hole, uh, this, this this escape tunnel from his cave. Right. Oh, excuse me, from his from his cell. And and so 
the question is, how did he get through that? How did he go through all this suffering? Well, he went through all that suffering because his hope was grounded in his escape. And so because he, he expected to escape, he was able to endure all that he went through. So that's one way to understand hope, I think. Um, we hope that things are going to get better. We hope that things will work out for the best. But I think the, a better, or maybe a truer, I should say, a truer understanding of what hope is all about is ultimately one that is grounded in Christ. And like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll spend a few moments um, at the end of our time today talking about that. But I wonder, you know, when you think about the word hope, when you think about, I think that ties in and overlaps with fear with anxiety those are all related issues um related discussion and i wonder if you were to ask just a random person on the side of the street you know what's their state of mind in today's society are they fearful are they hopeful are they anxious how how do you how do you think they would answer that what's interesting looking uh over this particular time frame that we find ourselves in these days with um, with the pandemic going on or that has been uh, for a, a, a full year now that we've been talking about these these kinds of things uh, and seeing a, seeing a website recently that asked questions about hopelessness, but it, it typically it kind of broke them down into um, just a just a general anxiety and then depression mm-hmm. and then hopelessness. But across the board, all of those things went up. Uh, March, April, May, you know, there was a, there was a big uptick in the, the number of people surveying who, who answered affirmatively to, yes, I, I, I do feel anxiety. I do feel depression or I feel hopeless. Sure. Um, and I wondered about that, about what, what is it about the pandemic particularly Mm -hmm. that causes you to feel Hopeless, and I think it's because, and of course, we'll get into some of these things as we compare different kinds of hope. But for for most people, their their hope is sort of grounded in these these things that carry us through the day. Much right. like, um, you know, I, well, I've got this tunnel that's hidden in my prison cell, and that's where all my my eggs are all in that basket. Mm-hmm. And so, if your hope is material things, if your hope is your job, if your hope is your social interactions and relationships and all those things were, were, you know, completely disrupted, um, in ways that we never expected them to be disrupted. And so there was this big uptick in people feeling anxiety and depression and, and even I would say despair or, or what the website called hopelessness. And, uh, I think that's, that has a lot to do with it is, what happens when the thing that we've latched our hope onto changes right. or disappears completely? Right. And so it, it's uh, report has shown that over the last four years, this idea of fear and anxiety has been around. And uh, especially with all the smartphones and the, and the Bible apps that are out there, the, the developers that make these apps are able to track um, uh, usage statistics and, and highlights and all that stuff. And they've been able to pull all that data together. And what's interesting is that over the last four years, the most popular Bible verses, uh, particularly in the main Bible app out, out there, which is produced by, I think it's version, what they're called, the, the mm-hmm. organization called. And the last four years, the, the verses have all been related to fear and anxiety. Uh, in 2017, the most, po- the most highlighted verse of that year was Joshua 1, verse 9. Which is have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Mm-hmm. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Well, in twenty seventeen, that was the most highlighted verse. In twenty eighteen, in Isaiah forty one verse ten, where God says, "Fear not, for I am with you." 
Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. In 2019, in Philippians 4, verse 6, do not be anxious by anything. And then last year, we're back to Isaiah 41. <laughs> and Isaiah 41, again, verse 10, fear not, for I am with you. And so the last four years, the most highlighted verses, and I, and I think what also makes up that most popular what makes it the most popular as well, according to the app, is that it's not just that it's highlighted, it's also shared. They they make the picture okay. with the artwork it's and stuff like that. It is the most spread. engaged, perhaps, mm-hmm. way to say it, the most engaged uh, Bible verse uh, each year. So the last four years have all been related to hope and anxiety. So this isn't a new issue, uh, I mean, or fear and anxiety, I'm sorry, not hope and anxiety, uh, fear and anxiety. Um, and so the question then is, as you mentioned a moment ago, is how do we engage with these with this idea, what what are some things that we, we talk about hope? What are di- what are some different areas that we put our hope in? You kind of alluded to to, to some of those. Like this, so I think I think the first one would be that we put hope in ourselves. Sure. And when we talk about putting hope in ourselves, I think there, there are a number of different ways that maybe you can unpack that. Well, and think about the the number of ways that we're bombarded in our secular humanist society and a me first society to. Um, you know, no one's going to take better care of you than yourself. Right. We're taught to believe in ourselves, to follow our dreams, follow our hearts, all the, all those kind of things, which of course we know from the biblical uh, perspective is kind of nonsense. You mm-hmm. know, I, I can't follow my heart. It's desperately wicked. But if you don't have that kind of counsel, then yeah, you're going to, you're going to put your hope in yourself. I, I think I can do it. Right. But of course that, that can be really fleeting when you're certainly confronted with something that you have no control over or that you can't, you can't do anything about. Right. Um, we're surrounded by those things all the time. So, um, but I do think that's one natural place where people, people kind of, um, you know, they, they put a lot of stock in their own ability and, um, and just believe, you know, they're just believing in themselves. Yeah. And, uh, and it can be pretty that, difficult. That reminds me of the, I came across this some time ago, the, the Humanist Manifesto, uh, the second version, and there's mm. a couple other versions that have come out since then, but the second version from the American Humanist Association, it said that uh, no deity will save us, we must save ourselves. That's a really interesting statement to make. I think it, I kind of think it goes very much in line with exactly what you just said, that we, we feel like we're the, the captain of our own ship, mm. where um, we, we need to be able to ride ourselves, we need to... Um, uh, we will handle everything ourselves, but I and but again, who um, look at we look at our own hearts. We see that it lets us down quite a bit to put a, to put it sure, mildly all the time. And I, I remember uh, Matt Chandler, pa- pastor over in Texas. He said this years ago, and I it really stuck with me. He said, "You know who who has lied to you more than you've lied to you? <laughs> you know who, who wow. has let you down more than you've let you down?" And so this idea that we can. We had the, this this power to solve all these problems by ourselves. I think it's naively um, optimistic, maybe it's a way to put that. Mm-hmm. Um, that it that is, but it's naive being the operative word there. That it's just not not doable. And and I and so when I think about this idea that we we trust ourselves, um, maybe overly so, uh, too much than maybe we should. I wonder then if there's some sort of overlap with this desire for fame and recognition. I wonder if there's an overlap there where we have this desire to be, to be known, to be remembered, to leave a legacy and, and the, and the right. regular sense of that, that term. And, and so we, we work, we work and work and work and work and work because we want to be remembered. But the reality is, I mean, it's just probably not going to be 
the way that you think it's going to be. So, for example, I know you're a computer guy, right? Do you do you know who um, Russell Kirsch was? Mm, doesn't ring a bell. Okay, so he died last year. Died last August, I believe. Okay, he was ninety-one years old. Uh, Russell Kirsch was the guy who invented the pixel. And so he's someone who literally revolutionized, I mean, I'm assuming, I don't know much about computers, but um, uh, he, he literally revolutionized everything about computers with his invention of the Pixel. And he died last August and it made no difference to us at right. all. And so right. here's a man who did something quite incredible. Changed society. Changed society in, in the computer world. I, you know, I yeah, guess everything. I, mean, I guess my, my phone uses Pixel, I guess. Right. I don't, again, I don't know anything about that kind of stuff at all. But, um, but here's a man who did some incredible, an incredible thing, and other things as well, but then the, the Pixel thing is what he's most known for. Mm-hmm. Or I guess some people know him, but, right. but not, not, not everybody. And so that, again, goes to this thing where we, we, we work and work and work and work. We have this desire to be remembered, to leave his legacy, because our hope is in that and ourselves to leave his legacy, and then we see time and time again, it doesn't seem to work. And so I think uh, ourselves is one. I think another uh, area maybe that we put our hope in is our families. Uh, maybe our families might, might be another one. And, and I was thinking about that some, and you know, I we say, you know, okay, well, if I had the perfect family, um, and by the perfect family, I mean that. They, we don't even need to put a filter on them on social media. It, the, you know, you should take a picture. You don't need to add a filter on Instagram. It's just, it's, the it's just good to go. It's the perfect family. Um, but we, we, we maybe would we maybe pretend to be those kind of families. But the reality is that family can be messy. They're a blessing, absolutely. Ble- families are a blessing from the Lord. I love my family, but but we're, we're messy people. And and so if, I, if I'm looking to my spouse, my wife, who I love dearly, if I'm looking to my wife or my children to fulfill me, it's just not going to work. They're not meant to. That, that my, my wife is a, is a wonderful blessing. My children are, are a wonderful blessing from God, but they can't complete me because they're not meant to. That's, that's codependency. Right, right. And so, and so I was thinking, like, you know, if, if I look to my wife and my children to fulfill me in this deep existential way that I'm looking for, it's going to do at least two things. I think first it's going to crush them because they're, I'm putting them on, on a pedestal that they'll never be able to measure up to. And so I need to realize then if I'm tempted to do that, that only God can fulfill me in, in this way. Yeah. Um, and then also too, it, it'll crush me because I'm placing my hope and, and a created thing rather than the creator. And that's something that Paul alludes to back in Romans chapter one, right. where we, they, people worship the created thing rather than the creator. And so I, I can't treat, it is not fair of me, among other things, but it's not fair of me to treat my family as if they're God. Right. And it's God's role to give you hope, which of course we'll, we'll, we'll capitalize on a little later, but that I think that's a, a brilliant um relationship there that you've that you've hit on that we we make them deity by relying on them to give us hope and that's not where our hope is to be founded and so because we live among fallen people and we live in a fallen world so mm-hmm. I, i've often likened those relationships to um a, a kind of a, a creeping vine you know that grows up a pole mm-hmm. something like that and we that's what we do with our relationships we we wrap ourselves around someone or something 
well, what happens when that thing is is gone mm-hmm. uh, or broken or, or changes in some way? Well, the the plant comes crashing down. It, right. it doesn't. It's not the same anymore. And I think that's a good way to think about whether we're talking about ourselves or our families that we're fallen people, and we live in a fallen world. People get sick. People people die. People leave. People. You know, there are circumstances that affect. Um, families in that way all the time. And so, you know, we're hanging all our hope on something that ultimately is, it's still temporal as important as it is. It's still temporal. Right. Yeah. And uh, Tim Keller really influenced my thinking on this and and a lot of what I just said a moment ago was um, um, taken from from things I've heard from him over the years. I remember him and his wife, Kathy wrote a book on marriage and and I'm pretty sure it's in this book where they said that, you know, they, they years ago had this conversation with each other that, that one day one of them is going to look at the other one in the casket. Mm-hmm. And if their hope is in that other person, then when they're staring at the other person that's in the casket, you know, what do you, how do you process that? If their hope and their identity is in their spouse, then what do you do when your spouse isn't there anymore? Right. And so that's, that's, that's something that really struck a chord with me. And um, I, I've come back to that time and time again in my own life. And so I think families are... Um, or another way we can we can put our hope in again. Either a family, a blessing, a gift from God. Sure, but they they can't be somewhere where we find our hope because it's just not going to work. Uh, jobs, I think, would be another one as mm-hmm. well. Um, you know, so we we might say to ourselves, and if we had this, if you had this one raise, we finally got that raise that we wanted. We got that promotion that we wanted, then we'd be set. And so we spend all of our time trying to get this raise, trying to get the promotion, so on and so forth, only to find out. That once you get that, if you get it, you're still not entirely happy. Yeah, and that that's a, such a multifaceted one because there there are relationships at work. There there's there could be power at work. There could be money, as you as you talked about. And so that that's a, a multifaceted uh, that kind of hits on so many different places where we might have our hope anchored mm-hmm. um, falsely. Mm-hmm. But so, you know, what happens when you don't get the promotion or you get it and you're still just as unfulfilled as you were before. Right. Uh, or your boss does something incredibly hurtful or something like that or some uh, coworker betrays you. You know, all these kinds of things happen. And mm-hmm. and uh, so, yeah, that's another one that, uh, or, you know, or you could have something like a, a global pandemic and you right. can't go to work anymore. Right. What, what, what if you lose your job? Yeah. How do you, how do you handle that? Yeah. So jobs would be one thing. Politician or politics, perhaps, <laughs> would be another one uh, that we that we can maybe put our hope in. I had to laugh at that one because it's such a loaded, <laughs> such a loaded topic. I think that's right. I think I think what we see, and well, I guess I should say, when does the election cycle really end anymore? Sure. Um, but but as you get closer and closer to an upcoming, particularly presidential, but certainly others as well, where people just seem to have all of their hope. Uh, or if you you know if you look at the fallout from our our last presidential election, um, you know there I think I think you could make the argument that a, a lot of people um, really had their hopes just completely stripped mm-hmm. um, because what they thought was going to happen just didn't. And I guess you could say the same was true in the in the previous one. Sure. Um, that so for each side. You know the anticipated outcome doesn't happen, and uh, I and I do remember uh, watching, uh, seeing news reports of um, uh, supporters of Clinton in in that particular race, uh, where it seemed like that was going to be a no brainer, 
uh, and they're just despondent. Um, and then, of course, I, I don't think the right uh, or many, I should say many on the right, did much better mm-hmm. uh, when Trump lost this election. And to see how dashed people uh, were, how despondent they were. Right. Um, and uh, it didn't it didn't look um, it, it was disproportionate reaction to, OK, you've your political uh, connection or political party has lost a four year term mm-hmm. and in four years you have an opportunity to do it over again. Right. But it, it didn't, it didn't look like that in the reaction. It looked like oh, this is life or death and everything hinges upon this one. And of course I don't mean to pretend that those elections don't have consequences and that they're not important. Of course, of course they are. Um, but that's not where I'm going to hang, hang my hope right. by, by any means, but it becomes very apparent when you lose one, uh, that there was more, perhaps more hope anchored there than than there should have been. Right. I mean, you just think about the nature of politics itself. I mean, it, it's it's curiously um, interesting how politicians can just change their position whenever it's politically expedient or completely politically convenient. And so you have a politician who holds one position on some pretty significant issues for majority of their career. And then when it becomes politically convenient to not hold that position, they change their, they they change entirely. Now that's not to say that people can't change their mind, I'm not saying that at all. But it is curious to at least look at the timing of some of those changes. Would it would it politically advantageous for them to change their position on whatever the issue is? And usually in, in my experience, my limited experience with this, it, it seems to be a little bit convenient when, right. when they whenever they do that. And I, and I noticed as well, especially over the last couple of months, that there there was some really interesting language being used when it came to the most recent election. Um, I know that um, uh, I saw one of the MSNBC commentators when it was becoming certain that Biden was going to win. Uh, they said this. I thought it was really interesting. They said this, this race, uh, this also felt like the Avengers it felt like we were being rescued from this craziness that we've all lived through for the last four years. And now here are the superheroes coming coming uh, to save us all. Wow. That's some really interesting language being used there. Um, and, I'm, and I think that it kind of underscores a little bit this emphasis that our society as a whole, I would say, has placed in the political system. Again, I'm not, I agree with you. I'm not saying that, that, that elections don't have consequences. I'm not saying that we shouldn't right. just do away with it for the win, but I am, I, I am trying to highlight here that our politicians are not our saviors. Sure. Uh, I'm reminded of Psalm 146, verse 3, which said, do not put your trust in princes and human beings who can't save. Mm. And so I think when we look, we try to engage with the with the world around us and looking at having a pro- proper proper view of politics is maybe a, maybe it's worthy of its own episode. I don't know, but I think when we look at this this discussion, is to remember that these are just men and women; they're not they're not a savior. Yeah. And I think I think lastly, after politics, the last one we can look at is, is our material thing. This is something you already kind of you already mentioned a few moments ago, but you know we we think. Okay, if I have this new TV or this new car or this new house, then you know finally I'll, I'll have arrived. But I was thinking, you know, what what happens? What happens when a flood comes, like in 2016? Right, and, and we've had all washed away. Right, literally. You know, we have families in our church who lost just about everything. Yeah, I think we had either 12 or 13 uh, families whose homes uh, flooded. It was significant enough amount of water that you know, they had to rebuild the home. Right. Inside out. Right. 
And I've talked with some of our students who who went through that, were part of those families, and they, it was interesting and encouraging, actually, to hear one of them in particular who said, you know, he it was through that that he realized what what mattered most, that mm-hmm. it, it wasn't these gadgets or toys or, you know, whatever. It, it was, you know, he, he, it helped him get a proper perspective on material things. And mm-hmm. so we talk, we've talked, we spent a lot of time talking about all the different um, alternative areas of hope, but maybe a good way to end, for us to end our time is to talk about what a biblical understanding of hope is. And um, when I think about what when you think, when you engage in these ideas, you know what what the think about the importance of having a Christian framework when thinking through the idea of hope. Well, biblically, you know, there's a lot of counsel that's given in the Scripture about false hopes. And, um, you know, it's probably, you know, Psalm 33 comes to mind where, you know, the war horse is, is ready for battle, but you can't put your, can't, don't put your hope in that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a false hope for salvation. And so the Bible gives a lot of, uh, warnings about where false hope can be. Um, and, and certainly I think the war horse would point us to, you know, uh, military might or government, still sure. temporal types of things, but even, even spiritually, we can set our hope on on wrong things. And I um, was thinking about, uh, you know, John five. Jesus gives this rebuke to the Jews, where he says, um, he says, "Don't don't think that I'm going to accuse you. There is one who's going to accuse you. It's Moses, on whom you've set your hope." Mm-hmm. That's that's really neat to think about the way he's categorizing where their hope is. Their their hope is in the law. Their hope is in the law of Moses to save them. And of course, through the full new Testament lens of scripture, we know that the law was not sufficient to save them. It was only sufficient to condemn them, Mm -hmm. but they, that's where they put all their eggs. They put all their eggs in that basket in the law. And he's saying, look, that that's the very thing that's going to condemn you. So even though that's a spiritual uh, thing, uh, you know, we would maybe call it a religious or a a spiritual place to put your hope. It was still false. It Mm -hmm. was still wrong. And so, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great question to ask, where do we put our, our hope spiritually that's right? And time and time again, the Bible tells us that our hope is, um, particularly in the New Testament, we see our hope is that, um, that the tomb is empty, that Christ is raised. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that really means is that he is who he said he is, and he's able to do the things that he promised to do. Right, and that really is if you all the all through the Psalms, all through the Old Testament, um, the hope is in our hope is God. Our hope is in His promise. Our hope is in the one who keeps His word, the one who cannot lie. Um, and so the the resurrection, the empty tomb, is the ultimate proof of that. Mm-hmm. But that's really where our our hope has to be anchored as as a Christian mm-hmm. is that God is who He says He is, and He does the things that He promises to do. And so I can be fully assured, not because I'm wishing for those things to happen, but because of the one who promised them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I think it's when you when we examine this idea that um if you were to look at alternative answers, um and just just take one for example, you know, when we look at the the idea of hope, how would an atheist engage with this idea or or atheist someone who holds to atheism, not that there's certainly realms of disagreement when it comes uh, into um, those who 
whole calling himself atheist. But right. um, I can't. I remember something that Stephen Hawking said, who's a uh, very um, influential, very influential scientist, atheist scientist, who died uh, recently. He said, you know, when we talk about the purpose of life, which is a very important question, he says this. He says, we are just an advanced breed of monkeys on a minor planet, planet of a very average star. That's what man is. So he said, we are just an advanced breed of monkeys on a minor planet of a very average star, but we can understand the universe. That makes us something very special. That is quite a leap right there yeah. that he's just made. That there's nothing intrinsically uh, unique about it, which is an advanced breed, breed of monkey, but we're special because we can understand the universe. I, I would be curious. I would have loved to have known where he got that idea from. What what makes that notion so special? That's another conversation for an, another day. But right. again, what what is the purpose of life? That if there if there is no end goal to, to in life to begin with, then what's the point of it all? How, how do you process death? That's another part. And again, it mm. ties into hope as well. How do you process death? Because death seems to be the ultimate conversation stopper when it comes to these kind of discussions. Sure. Um, and I, I was reminded how uh, Derek Kidner, who, who wrote a commentary on uh, Ecclesiastes, he said this. He said, if every card in our hand will be trumped, does it matter how we play? This is the idea where if death is all that there is, then why does it, does it really matter how you live in the, in the meantime? And again, I go back to hope. It's all connected to this idea of hope. If you hope that things are going to be- get better, then death seems to stare back at us and say, well, it all ends anyways. It doesn't it, matter. That it doesn't it matter. Better. Yeah. So, so what, where does, how, how do you have any hope that plays into that? And so I think it goes back to what you were saying, where, the, where, where we need a biblical understanding of hope is grounded in the resurrection. That, you know, think about the Heidelberg Catechism. What's our only comfort in life and in death? Well, the answer is that I'm not my own, but I, I belong to, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. What's the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. How do we how do we do those things? How, what how did that even begin? Well, that begin through the work of Christ. That that I am able to enjoy God because of the work of Christ. Right, and I, for me, I think this is a great place to to mention despair, mm-hmm. which is a lot the the death conversation starter really or stopper rather um, really brings a lot of people there. Um, and for me, hope and despair are polar are polar opposites. Mm-hmm. And so I try to think of them in that, uh, that category. And so what do I mean by despair? Well, d- despair is, it's subtly different, but importantly different from depression or sadness or anxiety. We, we all have doubts and, uh, questions and we experience emotion. We have sadness and we have, uh, periods maybe of extended uh, circumstances or, or periods in life where we go through an extended period of sadness and we might call uh, we might call depression it affects our outlook on other things but despair is when we cross the line um, or flip the switch in 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 which we begin to believe that it will never be different mm-hmm. it can't be different or it will never be different and um, I, I wouldn't say it dogmatically but I, I I really think that 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 despair um, is a sinful thing for the believer because um, of the promises that were given in God's word that it will it can always be better. 
even if that doesn't happen in this life. And so if we believe the things that are promised to us, that these things are light momentary afflictions Mm -hmm. and that there is a greater glory that is to be revealed, um, a surpassing weight of glory. If we, if we believe that those things are true, um, then, then that combats despair and tells us, okay, even if I don't get the outcome that I want or wish for, I know that in the end, God has something for me in Romans eight twenty eight type of uh, way of thinking about it to say that I know it's going to be better. I know it can and will be better because I know my that's what my God has promised to do. Mm-hmm. And so to despair is to look the promises of Second Corinthians 4 and Romans 8 and, and other places in Scripture and, and to say, no, I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just can't find it in myself to trust God, take him at his word that it is going to be better. Or as as Paul says, that it, it won't be worth comparing. Right. Um, I'm doing the comparing, and I'm finding that it may not be worth it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what despair does to us. So I think it's important for us to kind of keep those two um, and, and to say the Christian should always have hope. Um, and we just look through uh, the Scripture to see all of the situations that uh, are so... Um, so far from removed from our normal, at least in the in in the evangelical world in the West right now, it's so different. You know, for us to have a bad day is so categorically different from so many of the biblical situations that, particularly believers in the early church, went through, where their very life was was on the line, mm-hmm. and they were they were singing with hope. Mm-hmm. And so, you know. I have to keep that in mind when I catch too many red lights on my commute and I'm sure. suddenly I'm in despair. Right. You know, that's silly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it goes a long way when we do find the things that are beyond all of the places where we tend to anchor our hope that we talked about earlier in the, in the show here, where we talked about ourselves and our families and material things and all that. Well, you know, when, when the doctor comes in and says, it's a terminal diagnosis. Will you despair or will you hope? Mm-hmm. And if your if your hope is grounded in something that's greater than myself and my doctor and my ability to purchase medicine and all, all those kind of things, then um, that hope is the thing that carries us through mm-hmm. and uh, is a is a powerful weapon, powerful tool for the, for the believer. Yeah, and I would say. In addition to that, that, that such a hope is grounded not on wishful thinking, not on me crossing my fingers and hoping, and hoping, you know, in that sense, which hoping for the best, but the biblical hope is grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That this is what right. Paul could down in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says that if Christ hadn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. It's pointless, meaningless. And so for the Christian, our hope is not. Um, just wishful thinking, but our hope is is, in, is grounded in a historical event and the work of Christ, and that because He has risen, we too have hope that we will live as well. And so, all other kinds of hope are transient; they're they're they're, they're they can't do what we want them they're to passing. do. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so that that brings to mind First um, uh, Peter. Um, one three. You know, how, how do you think that one plays? In? Right. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again into a living hope. That's how He describes us. We're we're born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And so it's again, it points us to the empty tomb that if Christ is raised, then I will be too. Right. And if, if that, well, now I can stare death down. My savior's already defeated him. Right. And so that, that changes categorically how that battle's going to go. Right. And so we, we read, we read scripture, we see that this reality, this acknowledgement that we live in a broken world, that, in addition to that, you and I and everybody else were all contributing to that brokenness. And so such a systemic overhaul and renovation, renovation of the broken world is difficult primarily because any system consisted of broken human being does broken things. That right. broken people do broken things. But thankfully, we're not left in despair. That's the last book of the Bible, this, this beautiful picture of the future, the book of Revelation, where one day God will right the wrongs that have been done you restore this broken creation. And we see that it's not just a couple of small improvements. It's not some um, home DIY job. It's a complete renewal. Yes. This is what, this is what God did. He gives us a little bit of a, uh, a peek behind the curtain, as it were, in, in Revelation chapter 21, where it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things passed away. That's where our hope is. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Running the Race podcast. To find out more information about our church and ministry or for more episodes, be sure to visit our website, www.fbcg.net. If you're listening on iTunes or Google Podcast, a positive review would really help us out a lot. Thanks for doing that. And if you found the podcast to be interesting and helpful, recommending us to a friend or family member that you think would benefit from listening would be a great thing. We look forward to seeing you again next time. Once again, thanks, God bless, and goodbye for now.